Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Anul Polat. This is episode number 40 of the podcast. So if you've been listening from the beginning, thank you very much for your support from way back, way back at the end of 2019. Doesn't that seem like so long ago? But if you jumped in any time after that, uh, I appreciate you and uh, thank you for all of your support. And speaking of feedback, the feedback that I've gotten for you, we've got a lot to talk about in today's podcast, but we're going to revisit the topic of NFTs. Uh, I got so many questions from you after the last episode about NFTs that I figured let's get more into it. Let's talk a little bit more about NFTs. Then we're going to talk about uh, tourists being arrested for using drones. So I'd like to talk about a topic I know a little bit about, not the getting arrested for for drones, but uh, drone laws and drone regulations and Flying maybe not where you're supposed to. I know a little bit about that. And then I want to talk about a couple of travel tech life hacks, which uh, were news to me, which I didn't know what I'd like to share with you. I think it might change the way you look at those little silica bags that you get in everything basically that you order. So I'm going to tell you how those can be useful for you on your next trip. But first, I want to get into NFTs. So the last episode, I talked about NFTs and what they are and how they're made. Uh, if you want the full recap, you can revisit that episode. But essentially, going the real high-level version, NFTs are non-fungible tokens. Essentially, this makes it possible for digital things like digital art, like a digital picture or video clip. It makes it possible to have those become unique. So although, let's say, let's say an image, let's start with an image on your desktop that you took of a beautiful sunset in over the Taj Mahal. That's your picture. You really like that picture. Now it's still possible for you to copy and send it in an email and all that stuff. But if you were to make that picture an NFT, so an NFT version, you could then sell that unique NFT to somebody who might be willing to buy it. Essentially what you're doing is selling almost like an autograph. So you could make countless NFTs, you can make one NFT, uh, there's no real rule to it, but essentially what you're doing is autographing that piece of art or that photo or that video file or that song or whatever it happens to be that's digital. That's been happening a lot in the news lately. You've heard of these mega million deals, you know, millions of dollars being sold for digital files and digital photos and digital art. So that market right now is booming. And really the whole basis of that is the blockchain and being able to crunch out numbers and calculations. So how does that all work? Well, essentially NFTs are based on the blockchain, which you might be familiar with from things like Bitcoin. And those are created by computers basically solving really complex problems. Now, all of that complex problem solving requires power and electricity. And the first person I'm going to get into it in a second, but essentially the first person to mine a bit of the blockchain and get a Bitcoin is going to make money and everybody else who's been calculating stuff is not. And that creates this electrical arm race because you need powerful computers and you need graphics cards. So there are these setups where you see online, you have people with hundreds and hundreds of graphics cards just crunching away to make Bitcoin. And all of that has an environmental impact. And you might have heard about the environmental impact, but... This is an article I came across on Gizmodo, and I wanted to share what that impact is and how this all works and what this means for us going forward. So data scientist Alex DeVries explains that Bitcoin is a currency that itself is based on using power as a means to keep itself secure. Mining Bitcoin is essentially the practice of churning through complex puzzles as miners compete with each other to solve them and create new blocks on the blockchain. 
When they create a new block, they are rewarded with Bitcoin. The process is based on proof of work, meaning whoever solves the puzzle first wins, while the calculations of all the other miners furiously working and burning through electricity are for naught. There's a couple of ways you can mine Bitcoin. You can technically give it a go on your laptop, although you probably wouldn't make any money, but the pros use specialized equipment with specific microchips that are designed to hack away at problems. In his paper, DeVries estimates that the world's miners make 150 quintillion attempts to solve problems per second, which eats up a hell of a lot of electricity. And the article goes on to say, quote, we don't know exactly who is mining. We can kind of estimate what the total computational power of the network is, but you can't see who's participating in the network and with what devices. And this also puts things in kind of an energy conundrum. So if you buy a mining machine, which are let's powerful machines that are just going to be used for mining Bitcoin, then it's a sunk cost. Often that equipment takes months to arrive after their order because this is such a hot thing. You may have heard of the graphics card shortage that's going on right now, not completely unrelated to mining Bitcoin because a lot of people are just hoarding those for that specific purpose. But essentially one effect that this could have is that even if the prices of Bitcoin falls, we're still going to hit the same energy consumption. In other words, if you order the machine, you might as well use it. It's extremely profitable to just add more devices. In essence, make useless calculations, DeVries said, comparing adding Bitcoin machines to a network airlines flying ghost flights to keep their routes during the pandemic last spring. That analogy works well with Bitcoin mining. These machines are making useless calculations in order to keep the network secure. A couple of solutions that have been introduced, one in China, for example, an entire province has said earlier this month that they would ban miners from the electrical grid, helping to cut emissions. But the miners aren't giving up easily because there is a lot of money involved. And recently, $2 million worth of electricity in Malaysia was tricked into being used by miners or they were able to get access to that much electricity by confusing or fooling the electrical monitoring hardware. Another option is regulating the machine providers themselves. Bitmain is responsible for producing the majority of these mining devices. So why not put a carbon tax on them, DeVries said. I think both of those solutions are going to be difficult to implement. I think the regulations can only go so far. And I think that banning people from the electrical grid is just not feasible or practical in a lot of places around the world. That's not going to pass through a lot of that's not going to that's not going to fly in a lot of places. Let's just put it like that. And I think the regulations are going to be some way to get around those because we're we talking about graphics cards now. There's going to be a way to get around all of that, I think, at least as far as the end consumer goes. But outside of regulations, DeVry says the best thing would be an actual internal change. Bitcoiners could choose to do away with the mining and replace it with a greener alternative. Quote, you don't necessarily need to be dependent on computational power. You could actually have alternative algorithms for making new blocks for the blockchain. And the world's second largest cryptocurrency, Ethereum, which is used to make NFTs, is working to transition to a proof-of-stake model following concerns over energy use. But it could be a while before we see changes in how Bitcoin is mined. But it's something to consider. And again, we are in the very early stages of both Bitcoin. It's been around for about uh, 10, more than a decade now. But, you know, it's, it's hitting the mainstream. There's a lot of money involved. And NFTs are just are just getting rolling. So I think we're going to see a lot of interesting changes there. Now, going back to NFTs away from the energy consumption it takes to actually make an NFT, the NFT thefts have begun. So where there is money, there is going to be theft. 
Nifty Gateway is an NFT marketplace, and it announced on Monday that some of its users were swept up in a small-scale attack that saw their accounts and credit cards compromised by hackers. Analysis is ongoing, but they say, quote, our initial assessment indicates that the impact was limited. None of the impacted accounts had two-factor authentication enabled, and access was obtained via valid account credentials. Aside from mentioning that some NFTs involved, quote, in these account takeovers were sold over Discord or Twitter, NFT's thread is pretty light on the details. Now, a couple of people who have been using this marketplace have tweeted, like this tweeter, Michael Miraflor, who says, quote, someone stole my NFTs today on Nifty Gateway and purchased more than $10,000 worth of today's drop without my knowledge. Another collector tweeted on Monday morning claiming that his account was robbed of about $150,000 worth of artwork. In both cases, this article on Gizmodo outlines, this seems to be the pattern. First, a person's account gets hacked. The hacker then transfers the victim's personal collection of NFT art into an account that is owned by the hacker. The hacker then uses the victim's credit card to buy items that are up for auction and then transfers those purchased items into another account owned by the hacker. Hacker then sells their ill-gotten gains on third-party platform for profit. What might even be more disturbing or scary if you relive through this in your head that these sellers, when a sale goes through secondhand auctions, Miraflor, for example, one of the people who have been hacked and robbed, gets notified that the transaction went through. But because NFTs are by definition digital tokens stored on a given blockchain, the theft left behind a digital ledger that Miraflor says he followed to find the attacker in question. Now here's the way that Nifty is handling this hack on their systems. They said that they're going to reverse the $10,000 spending spree that was charged to the credit card that Miraflor had on file. But as for the artwork that was allegedly stolen from his collection and sold through these third parties, Miraflor said on Twitter that the company told him it would be unfair to take back the pieces from their new owners. To me, that doesn't make any sense at all. But if you look at the Nifty terms of service, it actually does state that basically they're not going to be responsible for any theft or hacks on their systems. So that is, to me, a good advertisement not to use Nifty if you can avoid it at all, because they're not going to help you if their systems are compromised. The second takeaway is to always, always on anything, enable two-factor authentication. But this is kind of the Wild West that we were talking about last week with NFTs. Hopefully this isn't too much into the weeds, but it's good information for you. I still do think NFTs are going to be the way for a future ID and passport system. I think the travel world has a lot of opportunities for NFTs like train tickets or concert tickets, digital, you know, any kind of airplane ticket, anything where you now carry a piece of paper to authenticate yourself, visas, all kinds of stuff could be used with NFTs, but they are not unhackable. There's the environmental impact as well. All right, this next story I want to talk about is a French drone tourist in Iran, Benjamin uh, Briere uh, is facing spy charges. He was detained 10 months ago in Iran for, quote, spying and propaganda against the system, according to his lawyer. He is 35 years old. He was arrested while flying a drone near the Iran-Turkmenistan border. His lawyer said that he could face a long prison sentence if found guilty. And then the article goes on to politics. But I want to talk about this drone arrest because if you, you know, coming from someone who runs DroneMate, which is a app that shows you the drone laws around the world, shows you local drone laws. There's also a free online version on foxnomad.com. 
I'm pretty up to date, at least off the top of my head, with the drone laws around the world. And we've got a great user base that is helping update and also sort of give us feedback of what's going on around the world. I know there are a lot of countries where technically things are legal on paper, but we try to note in DroneMate in certain sections that tell you, hey, it says it's legal on paper, but you might end up paying a bribe at the airport or they might just confiscate your drone and tell you to pick it up later. And then the drone isn't there. There's a scam at this airport. There's a lot of gray area when it comes to this, uh, when it comes to drones. And I'm going to say flying between near any national border is going to be a little bit risky depending on where you are in the world. But that said, Benjamin Briere has presented his last defense just a couple of days ago. Quote, the reason this French tourist was charged with espionage, taking photos in prohibited zones, tweeted one of his lawyers on March 15th. The reason why he was charged with espionage, he was asking on social media why the hijab is compulsory in the Islamic Republic and why it is voluntary in other Islamic countries. Now, this case is disturbing in other ways. Briere was detained for 10 months, but nine of those months he was denied access to counsel. And he is currently being held at the Vaklabad prison in the city of Mashhad. And this is not the first time this has happened in Iran. Australian travel bloggers Mark uh, Fikrin and Jolie King were similarly detained in Iran for several months in 2019 after being charged with illegally taking photos in restricted areas. According to his lawyer, Briere does not know the political situation in Iran and therefore being in possession of photography gear, which is common for tourists in other countries, does not warrant him being charged with endangering Iran's national security. Another Iranian-born French citizen has been detained in Iran since June 2019 and remains unable to leave the country. Anthropologist Fariba Adikha has been serving a five-year sentence on national security charges since June 2019. She was released from prison in Tehran with an electrical anklet bracelet on October 3rd, 2020, but the government continues to deny her permission to return home to Paris. Now, let me just take this a step back. These are disturbing charges, like I said, but when it comes to drones, um, there are a lot of countries and we are sort of trying to get information into drone mate specifically for these particular cases so you should by the time you're listening to this you should see those there however there are many countries in the world where your drone might be allowed on paper or there might not be drone laws or they might just be under the general uav laws which are unmanned aerial vehicles in which case there's no specific law for drones now having said that in drone mate we try to identify those gray areas but when you're looking for the laws if you decide to do that on yourself just make sure that you check forums, you check, you know, honestly, this sounds like an advertisement for DroneMate, but we really do try our best to put as much information there and fill in those gray areas for you. There are a lot of countries around the world. I would say, you know, if, if you know of a country's government is, let's just say, um, not the most open, then be careful even taking your drone to the country. A lot of places that you might be surprised, Morocco is one. Morocco has... A lot of tourists and a lot of people go there every year and you know it's nobody not many people have incidents but if you take a drone it's likely to be confiscated at the airport they don't allow drones in the country and there are multiple countries in africa where if you do bring a drone in they'll confiscate the drone even just having the remote controller for a drone but not the drone itself can lead to confiscation or other hassle at the airport or even worse so if you do travel with a drone, I travel with a drone always. If you're one of those people who, t you know, who has the drone with you all the time, 
If you're a digital nomad or you're taking a multi-country trip anytime with a drone, please make sure that you check the laws. Like I said, I'll leave a link to DroneMate down in the description. There's also a free version online you can check out. Um, but in the premium version of DroneMate, we try to we give you updates as soon as you land in a country. Before you're going somewhere, you can get updates automatically on your phone so you know the laws ahead of time so that you don't get into any trouble. I know for a lot of us, we look at our drones as like a third camera that we can use that's, you know, that's in the sky and get different angles. But for a lot of governments, I mean, these are spy tools, essentially. Um, you know, I don't see it like that, but you can see where in a lot of governments and a lot of countries and a lot of places around the world, a camera that can fly, you know, kilometers away and real high up in the sky and film all sorts of stuff could be seen as a threat or just an excuse really to detain you. So please do be careful when traveling with your drone and I will keep you up to date on these cases as I get more information and as they develop. But for now, moving on to the next segment, I kind of want to let's lighten it up and let's talk about why you might want to not throw away those silica gel packets that you get with, you know, anything you ever order. You know, those little packets that you get, it's like salt, but you you don't want to eat them. They're hazardous. But, you know, those little packets that come out of the box that you just kind of throw away, they're actually really, really useful. And I'm going to tell you why right after this. So here are some good reasons to use silica gel packets. Uh, this comes from Life Pro Tips on Reddit. And this is by user uh, Beast667Neighbor. So uh, whoever you are, thank you. Really useful. Came across this and I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I never thought about that. I've Because this is kind of the information that you read, but you don't, you know, really, you just kind of forget it. And then you go, oh, there's like actually a list of reasons that you might want to hold on to these things and use them. So the first tip is to throw them into your gym bag. They can prevent bacteria or mold from growing and it gets rid of odors. It's also a good thing to do in your luggage. You can throw a couple of those in there, reduce the moisture, reduce the bacteria growth, growth, reduce the likelihood that there's going to be anything weird, mold, anything like that on your luggage, especially, you know, when you're traveling and it's raining and your bags get wet, you might want to just throw one into your backpack as well. That will help keep them safe. If you have a toolbox or if you travel with, you know, anything that's got metal on it, that will help prevent them from rusting. So those silica gel packets will help things like, you know, if you have a toolbox at home, throw one in there. It'll prevent rust. Anything on, you know, that you're using that's metallic. And you can use these to also preserve old photos and books. For photographers, it recommends putting some packets in your camera bag. I do recommend this. It does keep the moisture down. It can help uh, increase the longevity of your electronics by preventing moisture from getting into the most sensitive areas. I would add that I would throw this in my laptop bag as well. So if you have a separate laptop bag or a separate laptop case, having one of these silica packets in there is going to just help a lot. Now, if you drop your phone in water or a toilet or the beach or whatever, instead of well, if you drop it in the toilet, make sure you clean it first. But instead of using rice, the silica packets work much better to absorb moisture. You're much more likely to recover your device and get it working if you use one of those as opposed to rice. So hold on to a couple of those, put them in a jar, close up your uh, phone in there, and then hopefully within 24 hours, you should be good to go depending on how badly you soak soaked your machine. Uh, makeup bags, it also helps keep them fresh. You can also add it with your jewelry so it won't tarnish as quickly. And there's still more. Can you, uh, can you imagine this? Like, did you ever think of you know, silica packets as being th that useful? 
if you go swimming or it's raining and you have a change of clothes before a trip and you have to throw something in your bag, again, these things are really great at just absorbing moisture. And then if you ever have to wait for your windshield to clear up in the morning in your car or you're going on a road trip or you're going to work, just put a few of these silica packets under your windshield. They will absorb the moisture, leaving your windshield clear, isn't it? Look at that. That is a, that's good advice. You can leave some of those in your car to help keep the moisture down. And it also helps with dry food goods like, you know, herbs with breadcrumbs, crackers, anything else that should be kept crispy and prevented from getting soggy. So you can put some of these in your food wardrobe. And another thing, it keeps your razor blades sharp and it keeps them from rusting and dulling very nicely. So this thread goes on and ends with silica gel is on top toxic but they are not edible so don't eat them also make sure to keep it away from your children and animals all good advice so i wanted to share that with you i thought that was just really cool it was like a great blending of travel and tech because i've got a zillion of those things around but i do keep them pretty much in every bag that i have so i'm just looking around now the the podcast studio and i've got some in my camera bag i've got some in my little lights so i got a little portable light so I can light myself when I'm when I'm shooting videos on the road. I've got one in there. I've got one in my tripod bag for some reason. Well, I guess to prevent it from rusting. Um, I've got one in my laptop bag and one in my microphone kit also. So those come in really, really handy. And as bonus tips, dryer sheets, you know, those dryer sheets that you use for laundry, they are great when you're traveling or just, you know, any reason to stuff them into your shoes. They will just make them smell so much better. Just get rid of that stinky feet smell so you can throw them in there. And if you really want your luggage to arrive smelling so fresh and so clean, like you just washed everything fresh out of the dryer, then you can add one of those dryer sheets to your luggage when you travel. And at the end of your trip, or at least when you arrive, your clothes is gonna smell really nice. Like it just came out of the, like, it, like you just washed it. and and. Isn't that going to make you so popular wherever you go, just smelling so nice and fresh? Anyway, thanks for listening to this episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, it's a little bit hard to get into NFTs, blockchain, and then go into silica packets and then people being arrested for drones. A little bit of a mixed bag today, but I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it useful. If you did and you are still listening to my words right now, then you are a super listener. You are at the end of the podcast and I appreciate you very much. If you could please leave a five-star review wherever you're listening to the Fox Nomad podcast, whether it's Stitcher, Google, Apple, you know where you're listening to this. Those five stars really help get the word out about the podcast. I appreciate it. We've got a lot of exciting episodes planned, a lot of exciting guests that are coming up and uh, some people you might not expect and I'm working on something that I'm really excited about, but I can't tell you yet, but uh, I'll just leave that as a teaser. For now, thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a great rest of your day and I'll speak with you in the next episode.